Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listening to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 208, Luca. Oh, you went up to the surface again, didn't you? Didn't you? Welcome to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, the number one place to get your animation fix with animation addicts just like you. Each episode, we dive into the wonderful world of animation featuring Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, and everything in between. From hilarious discussions and movie reviews to interviews with industry insiders, this show's mission is to brighten your day through our love of animation. So hop on your nerdy couch, grab some snacks, and get ready to hang out with your animation besties because it's time to dive into today's episode. Hey there, animation addicts. I'm your host, Morgan Stradling. And I am Chelsea Robson. Hey, Morgan. Have you ever been to Italy? I have not, but I would love to go to Italy. Have you? I I have been to Italy. I've spent a grand total of four days in Italy, and I want to go back after watching Luca. Of course, right? I never wanted to go to Italy you know, up until maybe the past five years. I didn't see why everyone wanted to go there. What was so cool about it? It was just like, eh, there's other places that I could go. But Italy is drawing me in. It's pasta, it's vineyards, it's landscape, <laughs> it's seaside villages. I'm like, ooh, see, see, see. <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> but this movie was really cool, really fun. And I loved the Italian setting. So let's dive right into it, shall we? Andiamo. Tu sei l'amore, il solo amore, io sono felice accanto a te. All right, so for our main discussion today, we are talking about Pixar's newest animated film, Luca. Obviously, the studio was Pixar Animation Studios. The director was Enrico Casarosa, who you might know from the short film that came out in 2012 before Brave called La Luna. Particularly the dad character, uh, Julia's dad, is to me just straight ripoff of the dad in La Luna. <laughs> like the character designs are very similar. Homage. And you could tell. <laughs> yes. Not ripoff, homage. <laughs> well, I mean, when you're the director of both, you can That's true. Say, yeah, it's my style. It's my thing. So it's definitely in his style. And I love it because- It's my I, actor of choice. Mm-hmm. It came out June 18th, 2021. The budget, unclear. We do not know at this point. And the box office, it has done a $5 million and that's because it was released ex- nearly exclusively on Disney Plus. 
It was going to be released as a theatrical release, but then back in March, they decided that, no, we're not going to do that because of the pandemic, which shall not be named. And they pulled it back. But this just so confusing to me. Like they're kind of all over the place with their, are we releasing them? Are we not? Because Raya was a dual theatrical release and Disney plus, and then Cruella, same thing. And so I don't understand why they went ahead with those two and they pulled this one back. I don't, I don't know why they're doing it to the Pixar films because it's three films in a row that like the Pixar theatrical releases have really gotten the shaft. It's been, Onward, Soul, and this one. And this one was so perfectly set up for theaters. I think it could have done so well. It makes me really sad that they just didn't decide to go forward with it. This was actually a huge drama within the Pixar community and the Pixar employees were really upset. Uh, I was reading on IMDb in their trivia section. Um, and they bas- basically said that, you know, putting the fact that Disney went out and put this on Disney Plus exclusively, but also didn't put it behind a paywall. They're like, yeah, you know, we can see you doing that for Soul because it was like in the middle of this all. But mm-hmm. because like doing it twice in a row and then also with like the vaccine rollout ramping up and like basically most of the country opening up to this degree. Anyone who wanted the vaccine has the chance, has had the chance for a long time at this point. Yeah. The pandemic is role is, is basically over. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm, we might get hate for this, but let's be real. It is basically over and we need to move on. And people are moving on because of the vaccines and everything that's happened there. I mean, Disneyland opened officially last week. You didn't have to wear a mask. Like it's just frustrating. And I can see how the Pixar community actually the artists and the people who worked on this could be pretty frustrated too that lucas it's almost like it was released last year in 2020 in the heat of it right well and also you realize that you know when a movie goes to theatrical a lot of times the employees get a bonus if it gets above a certain amount of money Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so you can also see like hey (laughs) we're not really able to get any type of a fundage here and I would be ticked. (laughs) I don't blame them. I would be mad too, because there is definitely prestige with a film being released in theaters, even though, you know, it may not be the future anymore. It is the set way for the past 100 years for the lifetime of cinema. And there is so much prestige to being theatrically released film versus the quote direct to video. We, that has such a stigma to it, you know? And for the fact that there's so much more recognition and, you're still able to get rewards and whatnot, but as far as having your hard work being seen in front of the world, it's just a second way. It's the main way that it was been done this entire time. So I'm mad. I'm ticked for them. I am mad that this was not released in theaters. This was a perfect summer family film. Yeah. Well, and, and they, I've seen the, you know, their, their feeling is that it starts to give like the impression that studio, like the Pixar studio isn't very respected by the Disney mm-hmm. execs. Like it's a yes. secondary studio when it's like, uh, this is actually Pixar is celebrating its 35th anniversary. And it was always the, one of the top notch films production and, studios. And Pixar so, saved your butts, Disney. Don't yeah. forget that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's, I mean, just the whole, the whole thing. It's like, are you trying to make this like a, a tiered system here? Are you trying to turn it into, um, you know, another, you know, a secondary film shop, but it shouldn't be. And, and, you know, that also gets me into the whole discussion on, 
the fact that they bought Blue Sky, like they shut her down. And then you also have any other studio that they end up buying. They've just turned it into a monopoly and then they shut all these things down. We're like, nope, we don't care for you. We just wanted your catalog. And it's right. just annoying. <laughs> I'm like, I, you know, as as an animation fan, I am really ticked off about the whole thing. I'll be mm-hmm. honest. And it's. It's not just, you know, there's a lot of people who are like just straight up Disney fans. Like, I don't care. It's all Disney. But me, I'm not. I I appreciate the fact that there are other people, other voices and multiple people out there trying to create something cool. And the fact that they are not respecting other people and they're building a hierarchical like business tier. Like, I just don't like it. And I'm not a fan. To all the Pixar employees, I'm on your side. You deserved a theatrical release. That's all I'm going to say. Also, the fact is that this is the second movie not to have John Ratzenberger in this. Like, what? This this is not the Pixar. This is not the Pixar that I have grown to love. Like, the execs have messed it up. If you are taking away the theaters and John Ratzenberger, no. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, he has become just this fun little Easter egg. You know, sometimes he had big roles. It was just other times it was just a little, you know, a little voice here and there. But it's sad. This is a new era of Pixar, which, you know, movie studios come in different ages. If you look at Disney animation, there's you know, the silver era and the golden era and the Renaissance era. And, you know, they have all these different eras that define them. And so obviously it makes sense that Pixar likewise has that and there's going to be changes. And I don't know why John Ratzenberger is no longer involved. Maybe he's just asking, he he was asking too much. He just knew they were going to come back every (laughs) single time (laughs) or, or what, but it's just kind of a bummer because I always love seeing his little Easter egg here and there. But let's talk about Luca because what were your first thoughts about this film? First recollections? Obviously, we can't talk about our theater experience. We right. did not see it in theaters. Yeah, I, I didn't really have... I didn't see a lot of the the trailers, so I didn't have much to go on looking into it. It just looked to me like, you know, life under the sea is better than anything they got up there. <laughs> you know? Right. So I'm... <laughs> The whole thing, as I'm starting to watch this, I'm just like, ah, oh, he dream. Let's let's see the plot. Okay, he dreams of life out of the sea and wishes he could be part of that world. Like I just, I felt like this was Little Mermaid right from the beginning, uh, and it does have a lot of similarities to it. But I will also say that there are similarities to other things too. Yeah. So initially, like you, I, you know, I haven't been too involved in the promotion of this film. It's it was just announced last year. And, you know, here it came and went. And so even up until a week ago, I thought that it was going to be released theatrically and was planning on taking my kids. I was just really out of the promotion for this film. And so then when um, I didn't get a screener for it um, because of bad communication on my part, I was like, oh, crap, how am I going to get a screener? I guess we'll have to go see it in the theaters. And then someone mentioned me. They're like, no, it's in. It was you. (laughs) You're like, no, it's just on Disney Plus. I'm like, oh, not even paywall Disney Plus, just straight up Disney Plus. Um, so that was interesting, but going back to the little mermaid comparison, as I first started watching this, I'm like, okay, lives under the sea, kind of a, a mer creature, if you will, <laughs> not necessarily a mermaid or a merman, but a it's sea a creature. Kid. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Mer kid. <laughs> and he's collecting, you know, gadgets and gizmos, a plenty. Okay, cool. Oh, he wants <laughs> well, to go to the surface. Oh, right. he has parents that do not want him to go up to the, the surface. <laughs> that is, that is the dark shadowy place. Right. I'm like, 
come on, Pixar, you're better than this. This cannot be Little Mermaid. And those things aside, which happen within the first five, 10 minutes, we very quickly get to, no, this is not Little Mermaid. And of course they weren't going to do that. But at first I was like, oh. Are you going to do this? What are we doing? What are we doing here? (laughs) Well, especially since they're in the middle of doing a Little Mermaid live action. Yeah. Which it's like, oh no, I'm not going to speak for Morgan, but I am not a, in general, I am not a fan of the live action remakes. Second. I am a animation purist. So (laughs) like, here we go. One thing that I love about this film was its setting. I thought that the setting in Italy in the summer just was so just nostalgic in a way. Like I love that this film is very much a, just a summer kids film. What do kids do in the summertime when they have all the time in the world, you know, and it's really this coming of age story where he's meeting this friend who is so different than him. Luca is very reserved and not as confident. And he meets Alberto who's the opposite, who is just going to teach him all these things and and have a great time and show him the world. And they're, you know, the scene where they're, they create that little Vespa and they're trying to figure out how to get it to go on the ramp is just so fun. And just, I just, it just takes you back to being a kid Mm -hmm. in the heat of the summer, just enjoying hanging out with your friends. You know, there's lots of visuals, you know, with all the kids eating the the watermelon. And Mm -hmm. this was just a very nostalgic feeling of a film. And it very much gave me vibes of Sandlot and the Little Rascals. You know, those are kind of, you know, kids Uh hanging out, being kids. Sandlot specifically is in the summer, meeting new friends and, and this, and then kind of parting ways at the end for some, some of them. And I really liked it. The film is very simple, um, but I, it totally works for that. Yeah. And a lot of, I mean, I didn't make this connection because I haven't seen the other movie, but uh, a lot of people and even the director himself say that Hayao Miyazaki's film Ponyo was the was one of the major influences for this. Mm-hmm. So he said that Miyazaki was one of the main main influences and even was going to name like have his the, the surname of Luca be Porto Rosso, but then they decided to switch it and named the city that he go to as Porto Rosso. So, which yeah, is a deliberate because they were they were going to call it Porto Rosso as a a nod to Porco Rosso, the yeah the film yeah, which is which is just fun. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I, what also was, and you say that it, you know it's very nostalgic. That was the other thing I, I saw. Uh, IMDb. Here's the thing. There aren't a lot of places to uh, find all this background information about this movie because it really just came out. And uh, so IMDb trivia gets the <laughs> gets the <laughs> nod for this. But I'm, that's where most of my background information is coming from. Just because it's so new. I also was look, I have the art book. And so I was looking at the art okay. book. And this art book is not as um, historical documenting the creation of the film heavy. Okay. It's more art heavy with like a few little paragraphs here and there, which the both, I like both of those. I like when I can learn so much about the history of the film and the making of the film. It's kind of like a making of book. Um, This one wasn't necessarily that it was just more here are the sketches, here are the characters, here's the development. Here's what we didn't use. Yeah. So the director said that uh, he indicated that the plot, basically the shy reserved kid who benefits from a nonconformist type friend who pushes him into becoming more open 
um, is directly based on his own experience as a child. So he's like, I, he, my, my own friend was this friend, but I couldn't name the, <laughs> I couldn't name the movie after me. So I just called it Luca because it, you know, <laughs> sounded better yeah. in English and Italian. <laughs> so I was yeah, like, okay, I, read, cool. I read that the friends was named, his friends was named Alberto. And so he names, you know, Luca's friend Alberto as an homage to him. And that friend even plays kind of a background character in the Italian oh, really? version of the film, which is super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I mean, Hey, that's nepotism. That's greatest. Like, Hey, I love it. you, this was a defining moment for me. And now I'm making a story about that. So of course you're coming along. Right. <laughs> I, and Morgan, I expect the same of you. <laughs> of course. Yes. There will be a character named Chelsea in my, Perfect. my first movie. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Oh man. I think that a lot of the characters were really well played. Mm-hmm. Um, so first off you got Luca Luca Pagoro. I, I really love the Italian influences of this film. Like I, yes. I have always been a fan of, you know, just the romance languages specifically, and then also just, you know, the travels type. And so the influences of that, as opposed to something that I'm more used to, which is like a Spanish influence or mm-hmm. Portuguese and my life specifically but the italian inf- i haven't seen a lot of movies that are you know there's life is beautiful which is also a wonderful movie um but for the most part you don't see a lot of italian films being uh, brought over to the united states so it was fun to see that as like a full out this is what it is and it's not apologizing mm-hmm. for what it is and so you had the jacob tremblay who he was actually the voice of of Luca. Uh, you may remember him from such films as <laughs> The Wonder. Uh, he played the main character, Augie, which is where I first saw him. He, randomly enough, will also be playing the voice of Flounder in the upcoming Little Mermaid live action. So interesting, cool. Mm. Uh, and then Alberto Scorfano. Mm-hmm. Put that Dylan. accent on the right place, Chelsea. You, you Good job. To, yes. <laughs> Jack Dylan Grazer. He was AKA Freddie Freeman from Shazam. I loved oh. him in that film. <laughs> it's one of those like of the DC films that I'm like, I, I can get behind this one. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I really liked them as a duo. They I felt like they worked out really well together and they they definitely brought the aspects, um, the defining yeah. aspects of each character to to life. Yeah, another influence that I got from this film was it felt very much like the adventures of Tom Sawyer. Yeah. Where Tom Sawyer goes and he meets Huck Finn and they kind of go off and have these adventures. Not necessarily. Tom Sawyer's very much a kind of a, a little naughty kid. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, Tom Luke is the opposite. He's a good kid. I yes, don't do these he, things. <laughs> I know he is. But Huck very much is like an Alberto where he's like way off just doing his own thing yeah. and doesn't care, you know. Um, but at the very end, Tom Sawyer kind of uh, I'm thinking, too. I know I've read the book, but I'm also thinking about Huck and Finn. <laughs> the, <laughs> <Right>. Jonathan <laughs> Taylor Thomas, you know, I just have that image of him running away at the end. You know, they try to dress him up and make him nice and he just runs away and kind of throws the fancy clothes away and that's kind of in a way what ends up happening to luca at the end not that he's abandoning his life but he's chosen a kind of a different path so yeah yeah, i i i loved it i thought they were really great duo it just felt real it felt like two kids that really would end up being friends together and obviously it is based in reality so that's they had a lot to pull from and i think a lot of us have experiences like that and i just love the pace of this film i just loved the very beginning when they meet them 
how Luca is just so wants to be a part of this world. He's so interested and he's curious and, but still very afraid because he has all these things that his parents have told him about coming up, you know, to the surface and the land people, I guess. And so he's, he's very cognizant and nervous about what he's doing. Um, it doesn't want to go all in, you know? So I think they mm-hmm. have that great montage where it's like 30 minutes later. 45 <laughs> minutes later to do the SpongeBob thing, you know, where he keeps coming back and he's, he's not going back where he needs to go and he's spending more and more time away. And I liked that very beginning because we got to really build their friendship as they are spending time together and just building this fun little podunk Vespa. <laughs> this was just like a one hour and 27 minute commercial for Vespa. And I was all here yeah. for it. <laughs> yes. I was like, good. Because it's so timeless, right? If they, I feel like since it's been around such a long time, it's kind of this timeless, very European brand where it just doesn't feel like, oh, GMC in your face or whatever they would have done, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) There's also a lot of connections from Vespa, the scooter, to the actual region where this film was supposedly placed. Like the guy who Mm -hmm. invented it in the first factory were all in this little area. So there are a lot of nods to this heritage that uh, Mm -hmm. the director had because, you know, that's where he would go and spend summers and and kind of live in that area. I was like, that's really cool. I love that. I liked when they met Julia. She was a fun new character to kind of pair them off because these two, yeah, they're different for sure, but they have this bond that they're sea creatures. And even before we meet Julia, we can tell that they have different motivations, kind of. But really, when Julia comes into the mix is when we really get to see, you know, what each of their these characters driving forces is. You know, Luca, he just wants to explore and learn. He's just a sponge and he's soaking it all up. And Julia really introduces him to a lot of things that he wasn't aware of before, you know, that, oh, it's not actually fish. You know, it's not great fireflies in the sky from Lion King, right? It's big (laughs) balls of gas, millions and billions of miles away. (laughs) You know, she introduces him to that with this telescope and he's like, oh, Alberto was wrong. And it really kind of shakes his world for the first time because he thought Alberto was a character who really knew everything about this world up here. And so it kind of creates a little wedge because he realizes that he doesn't have to rely on Alberto for everything, whether consciously or not. And then at the same time, Alberto, you know, because he's been abandoned by his father and we don't get any reason for that, the father doesn't appear later on. It's just, it is what he is. It is. And the father never came back. Um, Alberto really just wanted someone who would always be there for him and kind of that he could boss around. You can see there's different elements, especially once Julia comes around where he wants to take over and he doesn't want Julia to really be in charge. Um, So I thought that was interesting, you know, and Julia kind of reminded me of a character. She reminded me of Ellie from up a little bit in her design and kind of her spunkiness. Um, Mm -hmm. And then my kids, they watch the curious George PBS show and there's a little (laughs) redheaded girl kind of gave me vibes of her, but Yes, I loved her. I thought she was she was really great. And she introduces the plot point that really the rest of the film is driving to, which is this race. And I thought it was great. I thought, you know, like we said, this is a very simple film it, and it, it works on so many levels. It just has it's deep for sure on different mm-hmm. elements and the characters are well-rounded and they have motivations that are each unique to them. Um, but yeah, once Julia comes around, then it's driving us to this point and this conflict of this race. We want to, both of these characters want to get that Vespa. That's all they ever want. They just want to hang around together and, and drive around Italy in their Vespa. 
have a great time. And how can we get that? We need to win the race to get the money to do it. Well, what's interesting, you see, you bring in the Vespa and I think both of them have different, the Vespa means different things to them. So Mm -hmm. for Luca, it means learning and it means going to new places and seeing new things. While Alberto, it means my friend. He's going to be with me. This is a thing we can do together. And you sent me a video talking about The Little Mermaid and Lindsay Ellis, who is a very prolific video essayist. She has great. She's amazing. She has over a million subscribers on our YouTube channel. She was formerly part of Channel Awesome, known as the Nostalgia Chick. Mm, (laughs) She does her own videos now. She's great. Yeah. And she did a, a really interesting essay on on the little mermaid and pointed something out that I had never realized that the main person to have an arc in the little mermaid wasn't actually Ariel. Ariel just has a driving force goal and is just plummeting and just going as far as she can to get that goal. And there's really no mm-hmm. arc to her, but the people that actually that are around her, mainly King Triton, her dad has the arc where he starts out one way and then changes. And it is through his decision to actually move the, the, pro- the progress forward. And so I felt that was really interesting when I heard that. And then watching this, it's the same thing where it is Alberto that has the arc. So Alberto's the one that has to change, that he's the one that has to let go and has to move past one, one that his dad left him, but also that his new friend Luca is probably better off doing something else rather than sticking around with him. And so he has mm-hmm. to be the one to make all the changes and to help move this whole thing forward. But it is the driving goal of and the situation of Luca that forces him to, one, get off the island and then two become mm-hmm. the better person and to sell the Vespa, which they had brought together and to give him the money so that he could go and Uh, go to school. But then also in that he discovers a new home Mm. in the fact that he's now going to be the unofficial stepson (laughs) Mm -hmm. adopted kid of Julia's dad. So, well, he's also going to make him loads and loads of money because he knows exactly (laughs) where the fish hang out. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, you are not going to school. I will adopt you. I will love you. You will eat pasta every single day of your life and you are going to catch boatloads and boatloads of fish. Thank you. (laughs) Perfect. Um, Just in the fact that they used that plot device was was very interesting, especially since I had just watched that essay and I was like, mm-hmm. so from the very beginning, I'm wondering, okay, whose arc are we going to follow in this? Cause you could tell that Luca, like who was going to be the one that made the changes here? Um, so at Luca, as I was going through, I was like, he's not changing. So who is the mm-hmm. change? Mm-hmm. The parents do change a little bit too. And mm-hmm. they're interesting because We don't ever get a reason why they can't go up to the surface, why it's bad. It just is. And it's not really their story. And it's not really important that we have a backstory. We don't need a Moana, you know, you know, someone died on the ocean, right? Or someone went up there and died and a person killed them. It's it's just kind of a, a given at this point, based on how the people up above treat monsters and clearly have their entire lives. But Here's my thing with this. The fact that the sea creatures can turn into humans once they come up onto land and everyone does it no matter what, that's a feature, not a flaw. So 
this is something yeah. that you know everyone has so why are they not taking advantage of it it's not like hey you're the only one that can do this or you have to go to a sea witch to do this there's no right. other way out it's literally you have camouflage for going up there so once you're up there you're fine. It's not like you're Ariel when the, she turns back into a mermaid on the boat, right? Because the, the spell has run out. No, you literally grow legs and turn into a human. <laughs> so <laughs> what's the problem? Yeah. And I think that that's a better question to ask Luca's grandma. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she, she goes out every weekend. So <laughs> well, I also love that moment where at the very end where the two old ladies just are like, oh, hey, everyone else is doing this. You know, and they, <laughs> right. Exactly. They turned. Well, like, <laughs> all right. I guess so. <laughs> I was kind of expecting more. I, it would have been interesting to have even more people where you realize like a third of the people in this town yeah. actually are sea creatures rather than just Luca, Alberto, the parents and you know, the old ladies <laughs> right. the old the old lady version of ron and john even though i know they weren't based on anyone but you know how ron and john are in an, um, yeah. aladdin <laughs> cameo another suitor for the princess, for the princess. <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean i can definitely understand weirdos like his uncle ugo who also voiced by borat <laughs> like sasha baron cohen like yeah, that was also an interesting thing is both everybody in in Luca's family are all famous, like, comedians. <laughs> so you have Jim Gaffigan, who was played Lorenzo Paguro, and then you have Daniela Paguro, played by Maya Rudolph. <laughs> so it's mm -hmm. like... Maya Rudolph, right. she's like the mom in all of these films. She, she was is. the aunt character in uh, Big Hero 6, and I feel uh -huh. like there's just so many that she is. She's the go-to comedian. I guess we're there. I was really glad to see Jim Gaffigan in there. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I like him. You're funny. Well, he has so many kids. And that's one of the things that's he true. jokes about all the time. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> there's kids everywhere in his life. And so it makes sense that he's a dad. But yeah, they live, a really, they live a pretty boring life under the sea. You know, they have this little house. It's not necessarily part of a village or a city. Um, in some of the art books, it was much more of a, a mirror image of a city underneath the city. There's a really cool image in the art book where it shows that, where it's just like a very bustling city underneath the, uh -huh. the ocean. Um, but yeah, we don't, we're not really introduced to any other sea creatures. We assume they're there. We're, we meet a few here and there, but it's not like they're super connected. So it seems like they live a bit more rural, so no one's around them. Yeah. Well, and he, he was like a fish shepherd. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, how did they get to that? That was great. <laughs> but it totally worked. <laughs> I think that was probably one of the parts that felt a little undeveloped for me is just that beginning part of like what he is and what they do and why. And it was just what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and then you. Yeah. You know. you, so they have um, so they have 24 fish that he looks after kind of they're supposed to be sheep. Right. Yeah. And this was Pixar's 24th film. And so each one of those oh. kind of represented one of the. The, the films in the Pixar library, if you will. And I thought it was cute. I thought it was fun. But here's the thing. So uh, up above, you know, he's a shepherd of fish. So they seem to have very a dominant relationship over fish, like, you know, just as we would over sheep or other barnyard animals. And then later they help them catch fish. So it doesn't seem like there's any sort of moral issue with them helping you catch fish and eat fish because 
they must eat fish too. <laughs> yeah, that must be a thing. It's not like it's their equivalent it, of their dogs or, you know, household <laughs> friends. Or friends. Cousins. Yeah, it's not like yeah. a, flounder, a flounder thing like yes. where everybody has a soul type. Well, I don't know, except for in The Little Mermaid, there's like that shrimp guy who definitely has a face and a soul and she just straights up eats him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, that's what makes her evil, though. That's true. That's, that's true. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so it seems like fish are totally fine. Like, we'll help you catch fish, sure. <laughs> <laughs> They're like the cattle, you know. Like, yes, okay. exactly. It's like, yeah, you, yeah. Uh, it's what a, it's a thing. Um, so speaking of random animal sidekicks, <laughs> the cat was a really great <laughs> yes. gag. Yeah, <laughs> and then the thing is, like, they named it after an Italian philosopher, Niccolo Machiavelli, who is you know the name Machiavellian is basically synonymous with you know super evil person and like (laughs) looking to go out of your way to make somebody else's life really bad so the fact that this cat is is machiavelli the epitome of that yeah yeah well plus animals in they just have like a sixth sense you know they're able to determine you know if you're riding a horse a horse can tell that something is bad and you shouldn't go forward Mm -hmm. or they can just sense things Mm -hmm. that uh you know for example certain animals won't eat certain things because they know it's bad, right? Like, right. for example, um, margarine. Flies and insects will not even land on margarine because they know that it is basically just plastic. It is <laughs> not good for the body. It is not natural. And so they don't even touch it. They It will not decompose. And they know that, right? So they just have this other senses to the natural world, if you will, that we don't have. And so I just thought that was great that like he was in on them. Which yeah. is kind of funny because typically cats eat fish or things that are in the sea. Yeah. So even more of a reason. He's like, I do not like you. You are food. A giant, <laughs> giant buffet for sure. But <laughs> and he's just always staring. <laughs> so the cat, you know, he had this he had this little mustache thing going and he's like all staring at you like, I get you. <laughs> I know you. I just thought it was great. Oh. Well, speaking of mustache, we have this main antagonist, Ercole, who I thought was an adult when he first appeared, but (laughs) apparently he's an older teenager, and I guess this is a competition for kids, so he's probably inching. He says he's 16. I'm 16 now. I thought you were 16 last year. (laughs) But um, the other kids are about 13, so he's significantly older than them, and he's definitely the bully. Yeah. Um, and he has that little, I'm starting to get facial hair <laughs> mustache, which is so gross. Please, parents, as soon as your kids have that, just hand them a razor. It's, it'll, society will thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's ironically, he is the big fish in a small pond. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets his whole uh self being self-worth from the fact that he wins this cup every year for the last six years running well it's like yeah you're bigger and stronger than and older (laughs) than everybody else (laughs) yeah he kind of had this the typical bad guy with henchmen you know who are kind of reluctant henchmen and at the very end they turn on him i feel like that's a very common thing they're kind of around just because he's the only one and you Mm -hmm. know you hook your wagon to someone in power but Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it kind of seemed inevitable that they were going to win the race and he was going to be dethroned. But she had that funny moment of like, what if she kept referring to him as like the pinnacle of like evilness or something? What are they? The reign of terror. <laughs> yes. 
Oh, that was funny. <laughs> but there was there was some really nice moments, you know, like you were saying, the arc is about Alberto. We have the first betrayal where he land they both land in the water and then she sees him and then the, the villagers see him and Ercole sees him. Then Luca yells, Sea monster, you know, and kind of throws him under to the call bus. him out. He's not standing up. Yes, throws him under the bus. He's not helping his friend. Um, so that's a huge betrayal. Then they have that great moment where they're talking. Luca goes back to their little island and they kind of talk through it. And that's like the first moment of vulnerability that we've seen with Alberto. He's yeah. only very strong poses and in charge, but here he's kind of hunched over. He's by the fire, just kind of like go away. Um, we get more about his backstory about the dad. You know, I just stopped keeping count after a while. I thought he would come back. He didn't. And then, you know, there's still that rift there. You know, they, he doesn't come back with them. It's not solved. But then at the very end, Alberto comes back and sacrifices himself again, you know, revealing himself as a sea monster for mm -hmm. Luca. And I thought that was just a really great moment and showed a lot of growth for Alberto as a character. And then he has the, another moment where he has to grow at the very end where he has to let Luca go. Yeah. Really, really strong writing. Yeah. The fact mm -hmm. that he was able to come in with Massimo, Julia's dad, you know, and like Massimo was so sweet when he, he was like, I loved him. he, <laughs> when Luca comes in, is like, oh, Alberto's gone. He probably doesn't want you to go looking for him. And he was like, well, maybe he doesn't, but I'm going to do, do it anyway. And I was like, oh, you're so oh, perfect. Like, yes. Why are, why are you divorced or not with your, with your ex? Why are you not with Julia's mom? What's going on there? So <laughs> did they say what happened there? No. It's oh, just, she died. She's just the classic no, animation trope. No parent. Well, she's in the end credits. Like I saw they have like there was a, really? a trivia thing in the in on IMDb said that she goes and like introduces Luca to her mom. And oh, so you see totally missed that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I'm, I missed that, too. But she wasn't actually in there. It was just a picture of. You know, a still frame oh, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, in in the end credits, like that. Yeah. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. There was just a lot of that back and forth. I'm like, oh, Massimo, Massimo. <laughs> mm hmm. Oh, I loved him. I just loved his design. I loved his character. I loved how sweet he was. I loved that he was missing an arm, and he was like, I was just born this way. Starts out the, the sea monster took it, and it's like that's really funny because the, the uh, you have Alberto's like. Seriously? Like, who? <laughs> I yeah. probably have somebody I know. <laughs> I was like, no, I just came into the world like this. Like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then immediately right after that, they just show how adaptable and capable he is, you know? He doesn't yeah. need two arms. He has one. He's very, very accomplished with just one. When he, like, takes the knife out, cuts up the net, and sticks it back in. The Both the kids are like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was a huge fan of the music in this movie yes music itself like from the soundtrack uh was done by dan romer who um he's done a lot of really big things but he's also done a lot of pop music too so uh look him up he's got some cool things going but then you also have the individual songs that were added you know just from somebody went on spotify probably and was just like hey We'll take this Italian theme one, this Italian theme one. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, but it was really well chosen and it just really built the world. And I just loved hearing it. Yeah. It so I've been listening to a YouTube channel called Sideways. It's someone who went to music school. And so he dissects film scores and video games and all sorts of things uh, very, very well. He's kind of like the 
music version of Lindsay Ellis. Okay. And I just, I just watch his videos and I dive into them and I binge and binge and binge because they are just all so good. So on his channel, he talks about leitmotifs and leitmotifs are something that come from classical music. They came from Wagner, 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 however you want to say it. And he was very instrumental in this. And basically a leitmotif is a common theme to represent a character, an emotion, a theme. And there was one in particular that I was paying attention to. And it, it's just this very nostalgic sort of music that happens anytime something adventurous or whimsical is happening. So anytime they kind of have these fantasies in their head of the gold coins or they're, he's jumping on the rings of Saturn or they're flying yeah. in the sky, anything like that, they play this music. And the whole point of it is because if you're introducing this, this film, if you're introducing a leitmotif early on and you keep using it during these moments, you're able to create almost instantly this emotion, you know, later on in the film, because you already have that associated either with like a character. John Williams mm. does this a lot in star Wars. Each of the main characters has a theme. There's like right. Ray's theme or there's, there's Luke's theme. There's the force theme. Um, every character has their own little beat, which it's not necessarily always going to be played the exact same way. It might just be like, subtly in the background or in the score or just they just composers are great i really wish that i had the ability to write songs and um master music in that way it's just very very talented but yes i i definitely heard the leitmotif of this like whimsical adventure sound um anytime they were doing something like that and it just like really hit home those emotions right when we needed it and it felt very pixar to me the score i, I almost i looked later i was like is this michael giacchino it was not, mm -hmm. but it definitely felt on brand for Pixar. Yeah, for sure. Dan also said, I saw an interview on the red carpet for him. He said that he's like, yeah, I basically just listened to all Italian music from the 50s and 60s for like two months mm -hmm. to make sure that I knew how to do it. <laughs> I was like, makes sense. Good. Good job. <laughs> you done good, kid. Did your studying. Yeah. So speaking of the 50s and 60s, this film was actually set in sort of that era because that's kind of a very timeless era where things aren't too modernized, but they're not so antiquated that it feels like, oh, people are riding horse and buggy. It's just kind of this timeless, pure era. <laughs> and so I, I loved it. Everything about this film was just very nostalgic, very refreshing and just fun mm -hmm. and simple. Yeah. Yeah. And there was one moment that I, I mean, just because I, I think I will always remember the moment where he, Luca is learning how to walk. Yes, <laughs> and he's like he's like like moving his shoulders and legs like I can't figure this out. Ah, my tail. Ah, yes, phantom tail. It gets a it's a weird thing to get used to. <laughs> like yes, oh it's oh, true. Man. <laughs> oh, there's, great. Also, there's also a random thing that uh, when they get on the homemade Vespa, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> Alberto gives Luca a a colander to put on his head yeah. <laughs> and he wears that colander for the rest of the time. Every time yes. he gets on there as a helmet. <laughs> like, <laughs> amazing. Like, yeah. He's even wearing it when it's potentially going to rain. And I'm like, that's not going to help keep your head dry. Nope. <laughs> You're going to have your little spots. Well, so one thing about the character designs, I really love the character designs. And I was looking at the art book on this is there was lots of ways that they could have gone with these sea monsters, but obviously it's a Pixar film and you want to make your characters likable and and visually appealing right there has to be the sense of appeal and i thought that just the way that they designed these characters you know they didn't make them mermaids but they're little sea creatures and 
they're very, they have their tails, they have their scales, but what I loved was just their hair. Their hair to me looked like a cabbage. That's where it had all of those different things and, and leaves stacking on top of each other and the scales, the way that they laid on each other just were very, very beautiful. And overall the director, I remember him, I remember, and overall the director wanted this to kind of have like a, a very painterly feel, you know, almost like watercolors. And I definitely got that vibe and, and mm-hmm. really just everything about this film just felt very fresh. Yeah. I, you know, I thought the whole thing was just charming. The music with the vibe, the character design and the friendship themes. I just felt like it was very liked it. I, mm-hmm. I did. I enjoyed yeah. it. I felt like it was everything that they wanted to do with it. Or maybe I, maybe I'm just hoping that they did <laughs> I'm, well, everything that you did. Yeah. I'm sure. That, I'm sure the director's <laughs> like, Oh yeah, everything. If you say so. <laughs> well, one thing that we didn't mention was this, this film was entirely animated at home. Yeah. That was a really interesting part of this whole thing. After going through the credits part, first I was like, I thought this was really short. It was just very streamlined. And looking mm-hmm. at the actual runtime, it's a little under one hour and 27 minutes, not including the credits or the post-credit scene. Mm-hmm. But at the very end, it says of the credits, it says that it was produced in our slippers around the Bay Area. Yeah. Um, and I just, I, for anybody who works at Pixar, who worked on this, I have a question for you. And you can send us a voicemail. If you have an answer, um, I'd love to know if this was easier or harder to do it all from home. Just because like, I feel like there's one side of it being in the studio together. You get a lot of people going back and forth and a lot of um, Mm -hmm. communication. Mm -hmm. So like the communication side probably goes down. But at the same time, like I do appreciate being able to work from home. So (laughs) but maybe that's just me. Like, I want to know what what they think. Yeah. I know for me, when I worked my corporate job, I kind of did a hybrid schedule before that was cool. Before that was even a thing. I, yeah. after I had my first baby, I went to my boss and I said, this is the schedule I'm going to work. I'm going to work three days at home, two days in the office. And it was nice because I felt like I was really able to focus on my projects and get stuff done without being distracted of, Hey, let's all go to the massage chairs in the main room or let's go go on a, a walk. You know, I, I just felt like I didn't do a lot of those time waster things, but they, mm-hmm. at the same time, they built camaraderie and going to lunch with someone or going on a walk with someone just to get out of the office was very refreshing. And so I liked that both. I don't feel like I would love a hundred percent for me being, being just like solo because yes, you are talking to people you know, you have your zoom calls and your meetings, but that just never was the same as getting in a room with someone and hashing it out or having a meeting or ha- going to lunch. Um, the connections, this they can, and they are built online, but they're really forged and solidified in person. Just when I got mm-hmm. to see people and look them in the eyes for real, um, it just felt stronger. And I imagine, you know, I worked in a business setting, not necessarily a creative setting, but I imagine, you know, that creative back and forth, uh, also would apply. I feel like, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear hear people's experience. Yeah. So with that, what would you rate it, Chelsea? You know, I think I'm going to give this four stars. To me, it just vibrates at that level. There's not a lot of things that I would say were lacking in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I'm going to leave it. Four stars. Four out of five stars. Boom. 
I'm going to give it four stars as well. I went into this kind of having zero expectations, but knowing, hey, it's Pixar, it's going to be good. I'm always leaving the theater or my home theater experience just uplifted and I enjoy their films and they're really creative and they delivered. Absolutely. I just love how simple this film was. And there have been a few critiques on it's just too simple. It doesn't have that Pixar wow. I disagree. I think the simplicity is great because it really captures the essence of childhood in a way Mm -hmm. and this coming of age and a summer to remember. Just we've all had those very pivotal summers in our life growing up where friendships were formed and relationships and things happened. uh, Adventures were had. It's just free spirited. And I loved it. I loved that it was slower. It really did feel like a Miyazaki film in that way where Miyazaki films, they take their time. Studio Ghibli, they don't feel like they have to rush into the action. Uh, Very quickly, we get him turning into a human and that sets the plot going. But we take time for him to build that relationship with Alberto and then to, and then likewise to have that relationship with Julia. And there's lots of conflict and resolution and character growth. And I loved it. I thought it was great. I was really excited to show my kids it because I feel like it was a film that, you know, they would resonate with and grow up with as well. And it just captured the essence of childhood very, very well. And four stars. All right, we want to know what you guys thought about this movie. You can head on over. We we really want to get some voicemails in here because those are all a lot of fun. But until then, we have some five-star reviews that we want to go over and bring up from this is if you go into your podcast listening app of choice, then we can see some of your reviews. There's one that says this is a great time to chill with friends. This is from P. Brian J. on Apple, and he says, love Morgan, Chelsea, and Mason. For the past few years, I've gotten to follow them and listen to them talk as friends, nerding out about the stuff I love hearing and talking about myself. I love their nuggets of philosophy and how their talks can go toward the spiritual and meaningful side of the movies. This continues to lift me up. Sadly, we don't hear much from Mason as much anymore, but listening to Morgan and Chelsea is still one of my favorite times during the week. Thank you guys for keeping us all engaged and excited for the movies we love. Aw, thanks. Five stars. Thank you. If you want to leave your review, make sure to go to rotoscopers.com slash iTunes. We appreciate it if you leave us a five-star review in Apple iTunes, or it's not called Apple iTunes anymore. It's Apple Podcasts. They're really moving away from that iTunes branding, but that's one of the easiest ways to support the show. So thank you so much. When we read a five-star review every single week. And as always, all of the show notes links for this episode will be at rotoscopers.com slash 208. I have the link where you can purchase the art book as well as the IMDb and some of the other resources that we mentioned in this podcast. So thank you so much. Be sure to go there. And of course, leave your comments on our Instagram post for this episode. It Just go to rotoscopers.com slash Instagram, find the Luca post and let us know your review, what you would rate this film. And with that, our next episode is going to be... We have an interview with Stephen E. Gordon, which I really enjoyed sitting down and being able to talk to him. Uh, Originally, it was 
I thought we were, I was going to sit down and talk to him because he worked on the Black Cauldron. And so this is when we were doing the Black Cauldron. But it turns out that he had a connection to other favorites of mine and Morgan's. And it was really embarrassing and really awesome to talk to him. So <laughs> you'll have to <laughs> love it. You'll have to join in on that one. <laughs> yes. And we also are going to be recording our June Rotocast later this week where we get to hang out with the patrons. We do trivia questions. We do Q&A. We just have a really, really fun time. We do have a preview of one of our Rotocasts in our podcast feed. So you can go back and listen to that. That was a lot of fun. But this one is exclusively for the patrons. So if you're interested in supporting the show, we love it and we appreciate it so much. Go to rotoscopers.com slash Patreon. We have three different levels for you. We have diamond level patrons. We have platinum level patrons and gold level patrons. If you know what each of those are in reference to, then you definitely are a people and you should become a patron. In case you don't know, it's the different releases of the Disney vault over the years. They had the <laughs> gold release, then the platinum release, and what's better than platinum? Diamonds. And so depending on which one of those levels, we have different perks. Like you can join us on the show. You have exclusive rotocasts. And of course, you have ad-free episodes. Every single episode, release them a day early for all patrons. Extra bloopers, too. <laughs> extra bloopers trust me there are tons and tons and tons of bloopers in our lives in our recording sessions so we save all of the really good ones for for the patrons so rotoscopers.com slash patreon and i want to give a shout out to our newest patrons who have joined us over the past month katie and kat welcome we are so excited to have you we will see you on the rotocast later this week so with that and until our next episode, which is so fun and amazing, you won't want to miss that interview. Until next time, we are the Rotoscopers. Have this little like walker thing that's in the shape of a car. And if you put him in it, he likes it and he's quiet and he's just, he likes to look around and see what's happening. So... He'll hang out there for the next 15 minutes or so. <laughs> I sleep in a race car bed. Do you sleep in a race car bed? I sleep in a big bed with my wife. <laughs> Good one. Um, uh, what was I saying? Um, you remember what I was talking about? Okay. Wow. We somehow did it. We recorded it with two kids <laughs> awake and a baby who woke up, who sat here for a good 30 minutes being quiet. Yeah. And uh, hell hasn't broken loose in the other room, <laughs> at least as far as I can tell. Who knows? Things may be on fire when I walk out there. But right, curious, right. curious George is on. And the great thing about Curious George, he's curious and naughty. But when my kids are watching him, they are not curious and naughty. They are basically just glued to the TV. <laughs> they think he is the coolest thing in the world. It used to it used to be all about Daniel Tiger, then it was Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, which is still a favorite. And then it was Peppa Pig, and now it is Curious George. So, yes, they they have their favorites. I try not to introduce them to too many crazy things. I'm like, I don't want you just watching every single show like I did back in the day, free for all. I mean, I, <laughs> we did. We def definitely we, did that. Okay, cool. <clears throat> um, oh, we, what uh, are we what, calling this? Oh, uh did we laugh about something? <laughs> Did we laugh about something? <laughs> uh, you could just do pull a quote from episode 208. Luca, you went up to the surface again, didn't you? Didn't you? Let me do it again. You went up to the surface again, didn't you? Didn't you? I can't, I, it was so good the first time.
<laughs> you could just I'll include the just, clip. You could just, just you could just just clip the actual clip from Pinterest. <laughs> 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 okay, I'll find that. Nice. <laughs> You've been listening to the Animation Addicts podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave us a five star review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to help spread the word, be sure to share the podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag us at Rotoscopers on Instagram and use the hashtag Animation Addicts. For all the links and full show notes for this episode, go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast. Now, if you still can't get enough for your animation fix, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and visit rotoscopers.com for more animation news, reviews, and interviews. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.